You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Lucy Score on the show with me. She, if you uh, if you like romance and, and steamy romance especially, um, I guarantee you have a Lucy Score book on your Kindle or on your bookshelf. Um, fascinating, wonderful, heartwarming stories um, that... Uh, that you know bring a little extra and uh i'm excited to have you on the show today welcome to the show lucy thank you i'm excited to be here i uh, i'm excited to have you uh lucy we begin each show with the same question and that question is what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller Ooh, it was before i was in school uh before i knew my alphabet <laughs> I remember walking around with a little notebook and I would just uh, doodle little, I guess technically it was cursive ease. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wanted to be um, a writer of some kind from for as long as I can remember. Um, but yeah, that was the earliest memory. I, I think the I, I ended up going to school for journalism because I wanted to be the next Lois Lane and uh, found out that that was not my calling. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know lots of people that got their start uh, in journalism or in journalism school, and I'm always fascinated by the people that um, that start there, but then go on to write fiction. And, you know, this is not a dig at, um, you know, journalists making things up, um, it, although you could probably <laughs> crack some pretty good jokes about that. But anyway, that's not what I'm getting at. Um are there certain tools that you pick up, even if, if journalism is not your thing? Um, but, you know, there's something interesting, especially in in bigger cities where there might be multiple newspapers or multiple news outlets and something happens and all of these people from various organizations show up to cover the same story. And yet you can get five, six, seven different stories about the same events that happen because they're you know, they're all different people's perspective as they view it and, and maybe interview different witnesses and things like that. Uh, I, I find that interesting that, you know, you, you kind of pick up those tools along the way. But is there anything that that you can point to from journalism um, that makes you a better fiction writer? Definitely. Um, I think some of the strangest things that have happened that have been inspiration for stories, you know, actually happen in the news. <laughs> um, I think journalism really shapes a lot of uh, authors that start there, uh, just because I think we're more aware of um, how depressing things can be. <laughs> Uh, so obviously, I went from uh, journalism background to writing romance, uh, which is a much better fit for me. But I think uh, journalists bring with them a lot of tools that come in handy when it comes to fiction. Um, you pay a lot more attention to the um, who, what, when, where, why. So we're constantly building 
our scenes um, from those questions. Uh, motives always matter a whole lot. <laughs> and uh, we are really good at writing on a deadline. So I think that was probably the number one most helpful thing that I brought with me from my journalism training. <laughs> Writing on a deadline, boy, that, <laughs> that is something that um, that writers of all stripes could could use. Uh, you know, building those those habits of just doing the work uh, every day. That's vitally important, isn't it? It is. It is, and learning that you have a really short um, time to capture your audience's attention. So everything, every word matters. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm old enough that I came from a print background in journalism. So that was when you, you had a, an extremely tight limit on the number of words you could use for your stories. Uh, and I write very long books. <laughs> so I think that's a direct rebellion in, uh, to that limitation. <laughs> um, when did you um when did you fall in love with with romance as a genre um not to to make a cheesy pun <laughs> i oh gosh i started stealing romances off my mom's bookshelf when i was 13 so since then that's been my favorite thing to read and uh it's just kind of the coolest job ever to be a romance novelist when starting at age 13 um i would imagine that you probably read quite uh, quite a number of romance novels over your life before becoming an author. Definitely. <laughs> what things would you say, and, and not to throw anyone under the bus or anything like that, um, but what things um, did you start to pick up on that might be cliche in, um, in the, uh, the romance genre? And every, every genre has their cliches, but um, were there certain things that that you could point to and and just see that as um, the the lazy way out? Uh, or uh, I, I guess what I'm asking is, um, what are some of the things that uh, in the romance genre that get pointed to um, for people that don't like the genre? And then how do you see yourself as subverting those things? Hmm. Well, you know. It's kind of funny, but I actually really like cliches as an author and as a reader because to me, they come from a place of popularity. They're a cliche now because they've been so popular and that's sure. because they've resonated so much with such a, a wide audience. So I don't really think too much about um, things like that. I do have certain things that are kind of pet peeves to me. Um, that as I've grown as an author, I kind of try to stay away from things like, um, you know, a lot of romance follows a pretty specific formula, um, and that usually includes uh, a breakup towards the, you know, uh, two thirds or three quarters mark of the storyline. And a lot of readers complain about that. But without that kind of conflict, we would just be reading a story about two people falling in love and everything is fine. <laughs> and, you know, that's that is it's not what sells and it's not what keeps people's interest and it's not what interests me as as a reader. Um, but there are lots of different ways that you can uh work on that that area of the story. So for me, I don't like it when when it's some kind of um, easy to explain um, 
there's there's an argument or a misunderstanding. I, I do not like it when the whole breakup is based around a misunderstanding that could easily be understood if the two characters would just talk or have a conversation. Um, so that is my pet peeve. And I'm sure I've done that in some of my earlier books, but I try to avoid it at all costs now. Um, I, I like to get creative with what brings what brings people together and then what pulls them apart and what they have to overcome to get back together again so but i you know i think that's any any good romance novelist is going to be fighting that battle so there's there's a lot of interesting ways and one of them is bringing in some kind of external conflict which is where a lot of romantic suspense comes in and i really enjoy that kind of twist on the the breakup or the dark night of the soul <laughs> Speaking of that conflict um, that you need in in a, a story of any genre, um, you can't just have happy times from beginning to end. Um, that would be kind of boring and there would be no character growth uh, that comes out of that. Um, how much of romance uh, needs to be a reflection of real life and how much of it gets to just be fantasy? I think it depends on what trope you're writing and what subgenre you're writing. Contemporary romance, there has to be a lot of truth and realism in there. Um, but if you're writing uh, <laughs> space alien, you know, you can you can get pretty <laughs> creative with some of these. Unfortunately for me, I write mostly contemporary, so I am bound by by some sense of reality. <laughs> so explain to uh, for folks what what contemporary romance means um because yeah you can get into some pretty um pretty interesting subgenres uh you know sci-fi fantasy tentacle um right <laughs> romance there's you know there's some there's some stuff out there if you just go looking um, but what does con what embodies contemporary romance what what does what does that genre mean to you and what sort of um uh, standards might be a, a not the right word um tropes uh, you know what what makes up that genre uh, to me a contemporary romance is basically any kind of love story where you know the the couple meets and falls in love and becomes better versions of themselves in uh, a modern day setting so it it's very it's the pretty much broadest category you can get you know it's um it's not um limited by setting or any specific kinds of relationship issues. It's just that it's set in current day time. Um, but yeah, once you start drilling down from there, there's a lot of different uh, subgenres that you can get into that are really fun. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I love about your books, Lucy, is that there is a, um, uh, a sense of levity um that you you put into your books and a sense of um not comedy per se although there are very funny moments and there are um you love to to have snarky protagonists and um you know there there's a certain level of um i can open up the book and and i can it's not all dour and and you you definitely inject humor and levity into the stories. Is that something that that comes out of your personality? Is that something that you strive to add or does that just come out of your your personal writing style? 
I think it's definitely a personal writing style. Um, I also firmly believe that, you know, life shouldn't be all angst all the time. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I don't read too many of the really deeply angsty romance uh, stories because, you know, I, I read a book and I am living that story and I close the book and Tim, my husband is like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm deeply upset about this betrayal that just happened 10 pages ago. <laughs> but I, you know, I like to think of myself as a hilarious person, uh, which I try to remind everyone of every chance I get. And so I very much enjoy including humor in my books, especially when um, not just in the straight up romantic comedies, but especially in some of the books that are a little bit more emotional. Um, I just, it just feels like a much more true reflection of life as I know it, that you can be crying on one page and laughing on the next. You mentioned your husband, Tim, just a minute ago, and uh, I've, I've seen uh, several things online um, talking <laughs> about you and, and, and he and the publishing team uh, that you guys are. Um, and, and I know that your writing career has has morphed over the years and that you began uh, writing for a small press, uh, mm -hmm. I believe. And then uh, you guys went indie and and you are, you know, this this publishing dynamo um, couple. Thank what you. are what are the the roles that each of you play? And, and you know, as becoming publishers and not just writer, um, how have those relationships uh, formed and 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 changed throughout what you've learned about the publishing industry? Well, I, I feel very lucky, um, Mr. Lucy, as he's known to my readers. Uh, he and I are, you know, if you had to uh, quantify our relationship as uh, a romance trope, it would be <laughs> opposites attract. We we have very little of the way we look at things and the way we operate in common, uh, which turns out to be the perfect combination when, um, for building a publishing company and being a romance author. So I really do, he, he does all the heavy lifting. I write the books and I run my social media and I write my newsletters and he does everything else. So that includes um, working with and scheduling our our editors, uh, working with um, <laughs> do, doing all of the formatting, uh, putting the books up on Amazon, putting them on sale, uh, managing ads, doing our accounting, all of the things that I would just cry if I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that involves numbers, that's that's Tim. He's he's doing that. Anything that involves words, it's me. Love that. Yeah. Um, what year did you publish that first book with the small press? It was 2015. I think it came out in March of 2015. Okay, so that was kind of just after the the Kindle revolution, uh, if if you want to look at publishing in those kind of terms. Um, about a decade ago or thereabouts, you know, the, the Kindle came out and then um, Amazon, uh, you know, opened their KDP platform, uh, you know, to anyone who wanted to publish there. And, you know, a number of success stories have, have come out of that. Um, when did you start realizing that that the market was uh, was at a place that you could branch out on your own and, and do this for yourself and not necessarily depend on a publisher? Well, I think 
It it happened in stages. Um, my second book came out and it did very well, um, way better than I was expecting, probably way better than my publisher was expecting. Um, and it hit number one in the Amazon Kindle store. And when I started to see the sales figures for that and the royalties, I realized that, you know, this was a, a huge opportunity, um, which was convenient because I was fired from my job right when that book came out. <laughs> and I realized that um, I was I was worried that I was going to have to stop writing, you know, put the dream on the back burner again and go find another job that I wasn't very good at to pay the bills until I could get to a place where I could start writing again. But thankfully that book did extremely well and I was able to be a, become a full-time author from that book on. So that's when I realized that it was definitely financially a, a viable option for me, but I it took me a few more books before I started to really think that um, I wanted more control. I, you know, I like having a say in covers. I like writing my own blurbs. I, you know, I like um, coming up with my own advertising copy. I really enjoy stuff like that. And uh, working through a publisher, I don't, I wouldn't have had those opportunities. So it took me um, about five books to really get my feet wet and really start to get an idea of what being self-published would entail. And even before I attempted it, I knew that I wasn't up for a lot of those tasks. And that's when I talked to Mr. Lucy, who was um, working for a private investigator and flipping homes at the time. And I said, as hey, one as one does, <laughs> I said, hey, uh, what would you think about becoming my publisher? And uh, usually when I ask him something very strange and uh, off the wall like that, his first instinct is absolutely not. But he sat there. We were in the car. I actually remember we were going over railroad tracks when I asked him. And he's like, huh. And I was like, ooh, that's that's his. I'm thinking about this. <laughs> I'm considering this noise. And uh, he said he said yes. And he jumped in with both feet. And so my um, sixth book came out. And that was the first one that we did together. So how much did he know about the publishing industry? I mean, obviously, he's with you as you're going through this journey with your publisher. So by osmosis, I'm sure there are conversations or things like that that had happened. But um, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure as he got his feet wet and, you know, became a publisher, air quotes, um, I'm sure that that he got much more knowledgeable than he than he was. But how much did he know about kind of the state of publishing and and what the opportunities were at the very beginning nothing um <laughs> neither neither one of us really knew any we i couldn't even tell you how to put a book up on amazon at at that time um but as soon as i started working with that small press he started just doing a little research on the side here and there. Um, my brother was always really interested in the topic of self-publishing. So he would share articles with us about, you know, such and such indie author who made six figures that year. Uh, so we just both started kind of digging into it. And Tim started digging into the much more technical aspects of it while I was looking into things like um, uh networking with authors and uh, marketing and, and things like that. So it, it really kind of balanced us out. But even today, we look back and <laughs> it's just amazing that we were so optimistic because it is such a huge undertaking. You know, it, there's so many things you can do that are so far beyond writing a book, which is 
huge in itself and putting it up on a retailer, which is also pretty big. But there are thousands and thousands of things involved with um, making each book launch better, um, bringing the backlist up to speed, um, keeping your readers happy. It's, it is wild. There is, it is never a dull moment <laughs> in this house. <laughs> Well, you're um, you bring up a great point that there there is a difference in being an author and being a publisher, uh, because it, when you're just an author, you're you're thinking about the story that you're writing. Um, you know, you might start jotting down ideas for what the next book will be. But when you're a publisher, also you're also managing that back catalog and, you know, looking at you know covers are, are these covers um performing well enough in the kindle store for what the current trends are or, or what's catching people's eyes now and um at, you know as the author who's in there you know grinding out words every day how much of that stuff are you i know mr lucy you know handles uh, most of the business side but is that something that you're now thinking about about you know well how will this book help or uh, or will it at least not hurt things that are already out there? Or, you know, are, are you more brand aware or do those things come into your mind at all? Definitely. I I come from also a market. I have a lot of backgrounds, <laughs> <laughs> journalism, marketing. Yeah. So I have a background in marketing. I worked um, for a, a marketing and design firm for eight years. And then I was a marketing director for a few years uh, right before I became a full-time author. So I, I definitely keep um, branding in mind, especially as I'm writing a story. Uh, so I, I try to make everyone else's job as easy as possible. So I'm not just sitting down to write a book. I am pulling lines for teasers. I am messing around with little taglines as I write, just trying to think of, you know, how's that going to look on a cover? Um, it's, it's really fun how it can shape the story or the story can shape the branding. You know, it, it, for me, it goes back and forth. It's, it's totally different from book to book, but uh, I just feel like all of these jobs that I had that I was a total failure at came together and, <laughs> and somehow I found this perfect dream job that incorporates everything that I've learned over the years. And then to have Mr. Lucy on hand to fill in all of my gaps and, you know, really push us further um, into the success that we've been seeing has been just crazy. We keep pinching ourselves. We're, we're actually moving Friday into our dream home that we built um, a house built on romance novels. And it just, we've just been spending the last couple of weeks just, can you believe it? No, I can't, I can't believe it. You know, we're still, you know, deep down, I'm still the girl who got fired <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's still the guy who was like I'm flipping houses, but I'm not really sure what I want to do forever. So it's, it's kind of funny. That's fantastic. Um, speaking of, of, uh, uh, writing um I, I know that you um you write books that are uh that are hefty in size uh, mm -hmm. a lot of times and mm -hmm. and i've heard you crack jokes about it you know that that you um that you can't write short books um <laughs> you know as an indie author who um benefits from putting out um multiple releases a year a lot of times um how do you balance those two aspects of of being a writer that does like to write, 
um, you know, bigger books and with lots of detail versus, uh, you know, having to or needing to have new product out uh, on a on a rapid release schedule sometimes. It is tough. And, you know, I have I have several author friends who do a great job of telling a story in 70 or 80,000 words and they can publish five, six, ten books a year like that. And I am just not wired that way. I can't tell a short story because I'm constantly thinking about <laughs> the layer. I'm like, but what's his motivation? What happened to him when he was five that made him think this? <laughs> yeah, I just, and I can't flip that switch in my head for some reason. So in some ways it is great because I'm in Kindle Unlimited. So um, when somebody borrows my book, I get paid by the number of pages read. True. My books are very girthy. So I, if if somebody borrows um, a friend's 80,000 word book and then they borrow my 150,000 word book, it's I, I make more off of that borrow than my friend does because my book is so huge. Um, so that benefits me. But obviously, I can't write those very quickly. So that is that's a tough that's a that's a tough one. Um, it's it's hard to balance deadlines with a story that I often feel that I have no control over. Uh, usually it works out. Um, but this past year I was supposed to do, I wanted to do three indie releases and I could not power through, um, my third story that I was writing. It just kept getting longer and I, my character's motivations kept changing. And finally, Tim, thankfully, is very understanding of it. He's like, forget the deadlines, write the story as it needs to be written, because he knew that I would I would not stop writing until I loved it and it was perfect. But I would also just I'll just give up sleep and eating for the next week and make it perfect. So he was like, no, just just stop. So my October release has turned into a January of next year release. Um, but so I was disappointed. Um because I don't like letting people down. I don't like missing deadlines. That's the journalism in me. Uh, but I'm, I love the story. I'm so happy that I took all of the time necessary to write it the way it needed to be written. Well, and the flip side of that is if you rush through a book that's not ready and put it out because it's, quote, time to put it out, mm -hmm. um, the, the story's not going to resonate with people the way that it, it would if you took the time. So knowing the you know what the book needs versus what the business needs that that's always kind of a tightrope to walk isn't it it really is um and thankfully uh tim the publishing company uh has other authors now so it's it's not all on me and my shoulders uh so that is that's helpful um but it's still, I really hate missing deadlines like that <laughs> on a personal note. <laughs> Lucy, do you consider yourself a pantser or a plotter? I am both. I love one of my favorite parts of the writing process is sitting down before I start the story and outlining and doing some character sketches and just kind of free writing and brainstorming. I love it when things start to come into focus and then I get itchy and I can't wait to start writing the story. But no matter how much I have put down in my outline, no matter how detailed I've gotten, 
it has never, ever been more than 50% of the finished product. So as I'm writing, this magic happens. And like, I guess that's the pantsing process where as I'm exploring the story through the actual written word, then new ideas happen. And they, they just, they just happen as if I have no control over them. <laughs> I started writing my uh, next book and, uh, I got to chapter two and I ended chapter two and realized, hey, guess what? I've just changed a whole bunch of things. I just added a whole new secondary storyline. <laughs> but I, oh, yeah, I love both. I love aspects of both pantsing and, and plotting. Um, I don't think that I could write a good story without utilizing both. Do you have a daily writing habit? I do. Um, I... I'm usually pretty strict about it because I'm very easily distracted. So um, I come in and sit down in my office and I, I have noise, really nice noise canceling headphones and I have a writer writing playlist that I start up and it's the same every time. Um, but as soon as I cue it up, it's just like this, this trigger for my brain to understand that it's time to write. Um, and I, um, I have this, they call it a time timer. It's a visual timer. And so instead of like counting down numbers, it's actually like the time you have left is in red. And uh, so I will set it for 25 minutes and I will sit down and do a writing sprint for 25 minutes where I'm not allowed to do anything. I can't check email. I can't get up. I can't go make coffee. I am just putting words on the page. Um, and if things are going really badly, which happens sometimes, I use um, write or die. It's a it's a tool online that it's for sprinting, but um, <laughs> it's it's actually super aggressive, which is really funny. A lot of my author friends think it's horrible that I use this to uh, to get the words down, but it works so well for me. It's you can set it for like um, you can celebrate when you hit your word goal, but I use it as more of like the stick instead of the carrot. <laughs> So it's, if you slow, you set your little goal, you, how long am I going to write? How many words do I want to write? And if you start to fall below the pace of typing to hit the, your word count goal, um, babies start crying, the screen turns red, a big giant spider drops down. So, I mean, it's, it's good for me to keep me moving. Um, however, usually the, the passages that I write that way require a lot more editing, <laughs> but it's great for me when I'm stuck. So, uh, yeah. So I usually do that and I will write, I, I love to write for about, um, ideally I love to do about six sprints a day, like all in one chunk, if I can help it. Um, I'll take like a five minute break between writing sprints and then just get back into it. Cause I just, once my brain is in that uh, gear for writing. It is really hard to get it out of it. And it's very hard for me to do any kind of transition. So even if I say, well, I think I'll go back and write another chapter after lunch. Uh, you know, I've already, I've already shifted gears into lunch and now I'm, <laughs> now I'm lost. I'm, I'm done. So um, that is pretty much my writing uh, process for now. <laughs> You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs 
all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. I love the idea of of the the write or die, of just getting in that flow state mm-hmm. and just letting the words come. And and like you said, a lot of times at the end, you know, you look back at at the product that you have, and and sometimes it's uh. You know, it, it's not great, um, but sometimes there are little gems in there that that you look back and go, wow, where did that come from? Um, and, you know, obviously your kind of subconscious mind takes over and you just start, you know, the, the words just start coming out. Um, do you ever have times like that? And, and I know you kind of alluded to it a minute ago where storylines grow in the telling and sometimes new storylines come out of there. But do you ever have moments where. Um, you know, you've got a book planned out, at least kind of a skeleton of a book that, that you're going to be following along, but it just goes to new places and, and you just wonder where did that come from? Oh my gosh, all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm not writing these stories that I'm just typing them up for whoever else wrote them. It, yeah, I, it, and it's usually once I'm in that, that kind of flow state that you, my brain or whatever goes with the story and it kind of inherently knows what works and sometimes what works is not what I had planned. Uh, so, the, uh, you know, it's just, I just love writing. It's like magic. Even when it's terrible, it's magic. <laughs> Isn't that great? That, yeah. yeah, that's, that's so amazing. Um, Lucy, I have to ask you this when you were talking about tropes and, um, cliches uh, of of writing romance earlier um your books um in a lot of ways feel like a a feel good uh, hallmark movie or uh you know something that um like that we like to turn on at christmas time and get all of the the warm fuzzy feels um you know you definitely hit that emotional spot with your books um and in about 40 to 50% into one of your books, um, something really spicy um, usually mm-hmm. happens. Um, and, and up until that point, there, there's a lot of buildup. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're kind of wondering, you know, are, is this couple, is anything going to happen with them? And then 
something really happens um, with them. Uh, it, do you do you start thinking about the the emotional uh, and the romantic tension between characters and kind of when to to have a payoff of that relationship with the reader? Um, do you start do you think in terms of like at what point of the story these certain hallmark needs hallmarks need to happen? I do. I, you know, it's, I, I love to torture readers like that because, <laughs> because it, I'm a reader and it, it tortures me. <laughs> uh, I just, I love when readers are like, oh my gosh, I just want to throw this book because why can't they get together yet? Why, why, you know, it's, I love a good slow burn, you know, when it's just this gradual build where everything that happens between these two characters matters. You know, it's, I just have so much fun with that. <laughs> um, that. That is my jam. That's my lady jam right there. So yeah, I try to incorporate that with, and you know, right around the 50% mark is where it usually happens. Um, so I don't know if technically that would be the definition of slow burn, but I think everybody's definition is kind of a little uh, personalized, but yeah, I really love to build up to that point. And one of the, um, one of the ways I like to do that is Oh, my favorite trope to write is enemies to lovers. So you start as far away from a couple as you possibly can get. Um, you have two people who can't stand being around each other. And I have to walk them up to that line and then across that line somehow. And uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't even know how it's going to happen. And when I'm outlining, I will just have um, a chapter marked sexy times. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, sometimes I uh, it gets it it gets steamy. All of my books are steamy. If anybody out there is looking for non-steamy romance, don't don't grab a Lucy Score book. You will you will regret it, and it's okay. There are plenty of excellent um, sweet romances out there, but uh, I I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> well, to the point, uh, your website um, you've got this. This great blurb, writing romance so steamy her family can't look her in the eye. Um, let, <laughs> let's let's talk practical here for just a minute. Um, for sure. I, I know that that's really funny, you know, that uh, and and I think we all kind of understand that. Um, but d does your family know the kinds of books that you write? And, and what, what was that first conversation with them like? Oh, yeah. Well, honestly my entire family reads my books, including my father, um, including my uncle. <laughs> uh, uh, one of my aunts, she reads them, but she skims over the, the sexy times. Um, but yeah, my, I was very lucky growing up. My parents were huge, huge readers. We didn't talk at the dinner table. We all had our own books and we just read them. And a few, I don't know, over a decade ago, maybe two decades ago, my mom and my dad had some kind of bet and my dad lost. And mom's like, you have to read a Nora Roberts book now. And my mom and I were huge on Nora Roberts. We absolutely still love her books. So my dad grumbled about it and he picked up the book and he's like, oh my gosh, these are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so we, romance, reading and reading romance ha have not been strangers in our house. We don't talk specifics about. It might be a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't talk specifics about that. Um, in fact, 
for the longest time, the only holdout in my immediate family, my brother wouldn't read my books because he was grossed out. And so we hired him to produce my audio books. So now he has to listen to them. <laughs> uh, we never discuss them when he finishes. A that's, book, my, we... <laughs> that's my favorite thing I've heard today. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm evil, man. I, I was like, no, Dan, I want I want you to read these. So uh, okay, I'm going to pay you to produce my audio. OK, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, he, he will only say that was good or <laughs> pretty much it. He, he, uh, he doesn't uh, want to discuss it with me. That's but, so funny. Yeah. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Lucy, you have written um, a number of standalones, uh, mm -hmm. eight or nine, I think, um, at, at when I counted last. And then you also have a number of series um, that you write, and I'm trying to click over to your website to see um, if I got that right. Uh, but you've got the Blue Moon series, you've got the Bootleg Spring series, um, you the Center and Saints novels. There's a couple in there, and then Riley Thorne series, which you're you're publishing now, mm -hmm. and then the Standalones and the Benevolence um, trilogy that you've got. Do you prefer to write series or standalone or does it matter to you? I love both. That's that's why I, I do both. Um, some stories, when they come to me, I know that it's one and done um, by a thread that popped into my head. And um, it's a story about a woman who is uh, she ends up working for a fashion magazine and her boss is terrible and evil and they can't stand each other enemies to lovers, of course. Uh, but when that idea came into my head, I knew that it wasn't going to go any further than that. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I like writing both. And I've found um, standalones always bring in more new readers to me than adding to an existing series. And um, that also, I find fascinating. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Because when I started writing, everybody was like, you, you can't make any money off of standalones. You need to write in series you know, get, get to the fifth book in a series and the money will start to come in. And, and, um, and I think series is amazing for retaining readers. I think you will have great launches from your foundation of readers every time you add to a popular series, but I get so many brand new readers to me, um, coming in through these standalone launches. And I think part of it is just because, it's a very low bar. You know, you don't have to read three other books in order to enjoy this story that, you know, the blurb spoke to you or you really liked the cover. Um, their readers are willing to take a chance on one book. You know, they might not want to invest <laughs> three books or three KU downloads on an author that they don't know. Um, but but they'll they'll give you a shot for one standalone. And um, so that's really how I've grown. Um, my platform is through the standalones, and then I've retained readers uh, by funneling them into a series. Um, Riley Thorne was, <laughs> I, I sold it to Mr. Lucy as, I'm going to write this book, and this is what it's about. But in my head, I was like, I, I want this to be a series, and I want it to go on. But it was just a little bit weird enough that I didn't know if readers would follow me, because um, the main character is a reluctant psychic. So I don't I don't dabble in paranormal. So my readers would were not going to get used to that from me. And I also don't write to um, books that just follow the same couple. So it was it was a stretch and I was nervous and I figured, 
would write the first one and it, it sold really well and readers really seemed to like it and they were asking for more. Um, so I wrote the second one and I had my fingers crossed because <laughs> that was the test. That was, that was going to be the test to see if I could go on. And just, oh, it was such a great reception from readers that, you know, I'm writing number three right now and I'm just so excited to be back in that world. It's, it's really funny the difference between um, writing a book that's part of a series as opposed to writing a standalone because when you're writing a standalone, I feel like it's more heavy lifting because you're creating this world from scratch. You're creating these characters out of air. And, um, but in a series like Riley Thorne, I already have the groundwork laid. I get to just jump in and play with the story. So I just, I love doing both. So I don't see myself um, giving up on one and focusing on just the other. Do you feel like that at this point in your career that um, that there are Lucy score readers more so than there are, you know, Riley Thorne readers or Blue Moon readers? Um, and, and do you feel like that that your genre uh, tends to um, to follow the author more than a series? Have you found any of those things to be true or not true or or maybe not what you expected or? Um, how do you feel about that, whether readers are loyal to you and trust you to tell a great story as opposed to maybe a story in a, in a world that, that you've created previously? I, I definitely agree. Um, I think the romance genre, it, not only is it the best selling genre of ever, <laughs> it also, sure. it just, I mean, it has this huge, huge, huge audience, obviously, but the audience is also way more voracious than say, if I, if somebody was writing, um, epic fantasy, you know, those readers know to expect a book every, I don't know, four to eight years, <laughs> right. but romance readers, some of these readers are reading a book a day, which is wild. And I love that. Um, but they, Obviously, every genre has different kinds of, of readers, but I've, I've found romance to be incredibly loyal. They're, they're so willing to, if they're familiar with you already, they are so willing to follow you down a slightly different path. They're willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, I'm going to pick up this weird, reluctant psychic book, and I don't know, but I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> um, I feel like we have Obviously, I haven't written in other genres, so I don't know the kinds of relationships that authors feel that they have with their readers, but I feel uh, close to my readers. I feel like we're friends. I feel like um, I have a Facebook reader group that I go into um, almost every night, and I just get to catch up on people's lives, and uh, we talk about silly things, and it, it's it's so much fun, but we're we're real people to each other, and I think that there's just an incredible loyalty that goes both ways. You know, I know what my readers really want from me, and sometimes I might dress it up in a slightly different package, but I, they know that I'm going to deliver that for them, and um, I know that they're going to show up for me, and I just... I don't know. It's, it is the best. I can't, I cannot describe it. <laughs> it just, it puts a smile on my face every day. Just thinking about how these amazing people have made my dreams possible um, just by buying books that I've written. It's, it blows my mind. I uh, talking about voracious readers in, in the genre. Uh, when I was a kid, my grandmother would read 
romance novels and i i remember these harlequin uh romance novels you know yes. the kind of the old yep. school yeah. you know painted covers um you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and um and she had a sister that was close to to her age and they lived in another town at, about an hour and a half away from us and i would go they they visited each other um just about every month either my grandmother would go down there or, or my aunt would come up here and they would trade books and they would um every month when my grandmother would go down there she would have one of those paper grocery sacks you know yes um that we had in the 70s and 80s and um and it would just be full of novels and i i swear that she had to have read one or you know one a day or one every couple of days or or something because she would have a, a just a bag full that she would take to my aunt and they would they would swap and um and i just remember like wow that's a lot of books and um so you know that was you know 40 years ago or or better um how has the genre changed um you you know i mean you know this has been a a huge selling genre since forever like you said um so the 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 40 to you know 45 years or so that i paid attention to it um there's been a lot going on in the genre how has it changed so far in what you've observed and where do you see the genre going um you know i I know a lot of the tropes are similar um you know uh a lot of the the storytelling uh subject matter you know obviously has has evolved with the times but you know some of the core elements are are the same Do, do you see the genre um pushing boundaries changing in any way and are there things that you're preparing for for the future i i think romance um as a genre really kind of has always pushed the envelope um and i think that's one of the things that makes it so popular uh obviously with 50 shades of gray by el james that just exploded it and just brought the genre to a whole new readership and i love when a book comes out and people who aren't readers end up picking it up and reading um and so many people got their start reading romance by picking up that book and it's it's incredible that things like that can happen so yeah i think um romance what's happening a lot right now is there it's the genre itself and the readers are demanding a lot more diversity on the page and i think that is really exciting and obviously um a a long time coming um we have a long way to go when it comes to diversity and um and things like that but you know we're Authors are making that effort. Publishing houses are making that effort. Readers are rewarding them by reading those books. So that is really cool to see. Um, I love uh, the audience itself is changing a little bit. I mean, it's it's broadening from my experience. And you know, one of the one of the most interesting things that happened during the pandemic, workwise for me, was. You know, we, oh gosh, I was, I was about to launch this big standalone. You know, I usually do one big standalone a year and I kind of, I hang my hat on that. (laughs) I'm like, okay, this is the book that's going to earn us what we need to do all of these things. And, um, it was coming out in April of 2020. So we were already over a month into the lockdown and Tim and I were just having conversations daily on 
what do we do? How are we going to do this? You know, people are, money is going to be tight. It feels so wrong to be just like, Hey, buy my big splashy rom-com right now. when people are suffering and people are, are dying and losing their loved ones. Um, I felt really helpless during the whole pandemic thing, just because I was just sitting at home writing romance novels, but it turns out that people really wanted that. They wanted that escape. Yes. Um, romantic comedies exploded during the pan during the lockdown and beyond. And one of my favorite things to come out of that is the number of men reading romantic comedies and romance in general. Um, I think it is actually a huge uh, portion of the growing readership of romance that uh, just, it tickles me. Like I, it's just so much fun. I, I, uh, I get emails from men who like my dad lost a bet with their wives and had to read a book. And they're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, where has this genre been my whole life? Especially, you know, romantic suspense where there's still thriller aspects to it, but you have this, this story, this love story that kind of leads the way. Um, so yeah, I think the readership is growing and in unexpected ways like that, uh, that has been really cool to see. I just, I just love more and more people being proud about the fact that they read this genre. Um, I think for a long time, people were kind of hiding their books behind little book covers or, or on their Kindle, but people are very proud of the genre. They're proud of the books and they're proud of the authors who are are writing them. So it's just been really uplifting um, to be involved with and to watch happen. That's fantastic. Um, you mentioned uh, a little bit ago about your brother uh, producing the audiobooks. Um, for how do you feel like that um, the the prevalence and the explosion of the audiobook market has affected um, the romance genre in general and and your business in particular? How how has audio played into that? For me, um, audio was uh, has been the second biggest um, growing area of sales beyond, uh, besides eBooks, uh, which really surprised me. I, it, cause it, it's kind of funny in the industry. It's kind of known that it is almost impossible to advertise audiobooks. I don't know why <laughs> no one, no one has figured this out yet, but you can't just, you know, run a Facebook ad for audiobooks and have it perform like an ebook ad would. So we don't know what that's about, but somehow, and, and it seems like the readership is different for audio. Um, a lot of audio listeners, they don't, they don't care as much about the author name or the story. They, especially romance listeners, they want their favorite narrators. So that's what they focus on. So it's like this incredibly, just a different beast. Um, but we we did really well with audio last year. Um, I, we cleared six figures and it was so exciting to see that um, come in just from a lot of it was backlist, uh, turning backlist books into audio. And it's been really cool to see that. I still don't think I understand fully the um, audio market. So it's, it's something that we want to uh, dig into some more, but it's it's definitely, it feels like a new readership. So it's, it's another avenue, um, to get your brand out there, to get your stories out there. Uh, it's, I was worried that it wouldn't do as well during, um, the pandemic because people obviously weren't commuting as much, but 
turns out a lot of people really needed to drown out their families. <laughs> so they just <laughs> popped in those earbuds and turned on an audiobook. <laughs> you know, and one great thing with the the prevalence of uh, Bluetooth earbuds, especially, you can pop one in and you can go about your day and have a book playing in, in one year and and still be able to function. And um, I, I think that's happening more and more as well. Yeah, it's it's so convenient, you know, and it's yeah. it, it's nice that you it sure makes folding laundry a lot more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Your latest book, Riley Thorne and the Corpse in the Closet, um, <laughs> that that's your last release. Came out. I know you've got another release coming out in, in just a few weeks, and, and we'll touch on that in a second. But um, tell us about Riley Thorne and the Corpse in the Closet. What's your elevator pitch for that book? Well, uh, my reluctant psychic is becoming less reluctant as she helps her private eye boyfriend solve uh, a murder. Uh, so each each book, it, it's set in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which we live across the river from Harrisburg. And uh, Harrisburg kind of becomes its own character in the story. And um, the corpse in the closet turns out to be this social media influencer who dies under mysterious circumstances. And Riley has to use her abilities to figure out who done it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and your book coming out in a couple of weeks. What what book is that? That is Things We Never Got Over. Um, it is brand new. Um, it'll be number one in a new series. And it is set in Northern Virginia. It is Enemies to Lovers, of course. It is the grumpy guy who is trying very hard not to fall for the sunshiny runaway bride. I love it. I love it. <laughs> What's the title of that book? Uh, things we never got over. We always we call it Twingo. <laughs> I give all my books initial names so I can talk to readers about them before we do the big cover and title reveal. So this one this one has been Twingo for a long time. <laughs> That's so funny, Lucy. Um, this has been such a fast hour. I feel like we could just chat all day. Um, I I love what you're doing. I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, me and Mrs. Garner um, have dug through your your whole catalog as we're learning um uh, about some things that we're doing in our professional life and uh and we'll just kind of leave that there um but we're we're a big fan of the work that you do and uh just so uh thankful for the opportunity to get to chat with you today um we're gonna link up your uh your amazon page in the show notes of this episode where people can run and grab all of your back catalog and all that you do, but um, tell people where they can find you online. I, I know you have a fantastic website. You also have a readers group on Facebook where you, uh, you know, talked about earlier where you chat with people. Where, where can they connect with you to find all those places? Sure. Uh, you can find me at lucyscore.com or grab me on Facebook. I have an author page there uh, just under Lucy Score. And my reader group on Facebook is Lucy Score's Binge Readers Anonymous. But you have to be nice and tolerate tacos to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love tacos? Seriously. I, I, I know. I know. I mean, burritos are fine, too. <laughs> burritos are fine. They're, they're just a taco with a different delivery method. That's uh, right. <laughs> we're going to link up all those places, and we're going to send everyone to see you. Lucy, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. I love talking about books. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. He was just seven. 
when his parents died. Eliza received the news of their death on Halloween morning, but she kept it from Jason for two more days. She sent him out trick-or-treating. He was a vampire. He spun around in the living room, eyes wild, shouting, I am the living dead! and wondering why they didn't laugh. On November 2nd, after school, Eliza told him. His parents were dead. It was a bleak time. He wanted silence. He wanted darkness. He cried great, rolling tears. In early spring, he ran away from home, which means he stole $5, put a box of Cheez-Its in a pillowcase, and walked seven blocks. He slept in a field, glad to be miserable. He wanted to freeze to death, to be with his mom and dad, to not feel anything. His grandmother found him at a playground near the river, fallen in the dust with his shoulder against the slope of a teeter-totter, the other end riderless, suspended. He saw her trudging up the hill. She looked twice her usual size in her winter coat and frightening. Let's go home, Jason. He knew he was in trouble. He knew what home meant. It meant a paddling or worse. Eliza opened her big winter coat and, straining, slipped down into the dust next to him. She drew him into her warm body, wrapping him in the coat. She flipped the collar up, rubbed her hands together, and cupped them over his ears. Purr, you're an ice cube, but it feels good, kinda. It's good to get really cold sometimes, wakes you up. They were cheek to cheek against the teeter-totter, bundled together as the sky turned from gray to orange. The ground stung, but they sat a long time. Why? The word was just a tiny puff of vapor that slipped from his lips and into the wind, but it was also big, big and heavy. She knew what his little boy heart had asked. She understood the universe of longing and confusion and hurt in that one whispered word. We all die, baby. In all the long, long history of the world, there's not been one of us who didn't. I'll die, he said. It wasn't a question, but it was. Yes, and I'll die a lot sooner, and the why is just... It's just there. It just is. We're not around to see what was before us, and we're not here to see what happens after. The trees on the edge of the playground shivered with dawn. But we're here now, she said, and pulled him tighter until his cheekbone felt sore from pressing against hers. And it has to be enough. It has to be. Look at all we have now really look. He really looked. It was just a small playground off the main road of an unimportant New England town. But in the distance he could see the wide Kennebec River, and the sky was pink above it. He saw small ships moored, trimmed in red and baby blue, rocking against the current. He saw a robin on the railing of a dock, toes pointed inward, making occasional hops that were also flight. The town was waking up. There was a light in the bakery and one in the grocery. There was an empty can of beer on a picnic table and wildflowers by the road. There was wind and trees swaying gently. There was his own breath in his own lungs. There was his grandmother, 
her body, her heartbeat against his back as he leaned against her chest. There was his own life and hers and a world to live them in. And it was enough.